0: Amen. Um, We've been talking for the last uh, two weeks, this is week number three, on um, what it looks like for us to move from a believer to a disciple. And we've been looking at how there were plenty of believers. In a a survey that was taken across America, nine out of ten people believe in God. But when we begin to look at our world... And the things that are going on, we begin to realize that not 90% of the people are actually living as disciples. Because if they were, this world would look a lot different. So we begin to look at the first week, the first thing that we need to do to be able to move, to become more than a believer, to have authentic Christianity, to be able to, to move from a believer to a disciple, we said the first thing we must do is we must be passionately committed to Christ. We must make up in our minds and we must realize that in order for us to be more than a believer that we have to make a decision that God is first. That God comes before everything else. We looked at the verse that said that you must, those who you must hate Your mother, your father, your wife, your children. And we looked at, it It doesn't actually mean hate, but what God was saying was, He was saying that you need to be willing to walk away from any relationship. You need to have nothing before me, no matter what, no matter who. God is jealous. He wants to be first. He wants us to be passionately committed to Him. And when you look at the disciples... When they left their jobs and they began to to follow after Him, we see that they were passionately committed to Him. Many of them died for the cause of Christ. Last week we looked at how that so often we look at the Father and the Son, but when we begin to speak about the Holy Spirit, people get nervous. And we decided and, and we realized that we believe in God the Father, we believe in Christ the Son, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, and how that we must be sensitive and submitted to Him. And we begin to, to look at what that truly looks like. And I was amazed. I shouldn't say amazed. I was Very glad to see the reports after last week's service and how people began to tell me that the Holy Spirit was moving in their lives. And it was so awesome to know. And and if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to realize and we must be sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit. Today we want to look at The third quality that I believe is necessary for us to be more than a believer. The next quality of a disciple is, is they live a biblically centered life. A biblically centered life. One of our essential beliefs here at Gateway is the Bible is the word of God. And every decision that a disciple makes, every decision that we make, should revolve around the Bible. Now you say, "No, that sounds old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter two, beginning with verse 36. And it says this, "Therefore Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And verse 42 is what I want to center in upon this morning. Where it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. In other words, they died to their self. They said repent, be baptized, fellowship and pray. It says they continued, which means that they persisted in the process. They persisted. In the process, in the face of adversity, they persisted in the process. When people all around them thought that they had lost their mind, they persisted. They continued in the process. And if we're going to become more than a believer, if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to fulfill the great commission in the face of adversity... You have to be persistent to cultivate your walk with God. You have to be persistent to continue in this process. And so this morning I want to look at three aspects of a biblically centered life. I told them before service, I said, now last week was one of those great Shouting services. But how many people know that, or if you don't know, let me allow you to know, that moving from a believer to a disciple isn't easy. There's some tough stuff. There's some things that, that you might have to just take a deep breath and say, okay, here goes. But three aspects... Of a biblically centered life. The first is biblical standards. It says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. What does doctrine do? Doctrine draws a line. You see, there comes a point in our life that we have to draw a line as to what we believe and where we stand. Have you ever tried to play a game without boundaries? We went on vacation this summer and and we went to a place that had a huge pool. And so, part of that pool, they played volleyball. Well, guess what? There were no boundaries. They couldn't draw a line in the water. And so, we sat back and watched. And somebody would say, That was out. And somebody would say, No, it wasn't. It was in. And I'm thinking, How do you know? There's no line. But it was just based on their opinion. And so many times in life, we realize that the world doesn't know what's out of bounds anymore. They want to keep crossing the line. But as a Christian, as a disciple, there's something that needs to rise up in us. As heads of the household, there's something that needs to rise up in us. That says, hey, that's out of bounds. This is where the line is. The disciples drew a line. You've got to decide or ask yourself the question, who has the last word in your life? Is it you? Is it culture? Or is it Christ? Is it what you think? Is it what the world thinks? Or is it what? in this word? Where's the line drawn? You see, we have to realize that the person that is living a biblically centered life says, I am not the final authority in my life. The person that's living a biblically centered life says, culture isn't the final authority in my life. The person living a biblically centered life says, Christ is the final authority in my life. We read the story in the book, in the Old Testament, how that Daniel was told to bow. He was told, you have to bow. And it would have been very easy for Daniel to to listen to himself and think, if I don't do this, the consequences are going to be grave. It would have been very easy for Daniel to look at the culture around him and everybody saying, you need to bow. You need to do what they're saying. I know you may have a line, but this is one time you better cross it. But what did Daniel do? He drew a line. And he said, I'm not going to bow. I don't care what I think. I don't care what culture thinks. I'm standing on the word of God. Moving from a believer to a disciple means that there's sometimes that you're going to have to draw a line. You see, something on the outside will always be coming against us. But not only things on the outside will come against us to try to get us to cross that line, there's sometimes that something on the inside of us will come against us. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 says this, The time will come when people will not listen to the truth. They will look for teachers who will tell them only what they want to hear. I believe we're living there, church. There's going to come a time when people don't want to hear the truth. Now, we've said it many times that we can proclaim the truth but proclaim it in a judgmental, condemning way. That's not God. This is not even in my notes. It's just free, okay? That's not God. But there comes a time that that we have to tell the truth in love. The truth... In love, But when we get to this point where people do not want to hear, and they say, this is my life. Leave me alone. I'll live the way that I want to live. It's dangerous. You see, biblical standards preserve us from the inside and protect us from the outside. That verse that we read in 2 Timothy said, says, we're going to be drawn away. One version says, from our own lusts. We're going we're gonna to see things out there that we just want to we go after. How many people have heard the great story of, of our not my cat? We had this cat that showed up and I kept saying it's not my cat and, and uh, he ended up getting injured. It cost us a, a little bit of a Money. To get him well again, so now it's my cat now. But the injury that he had, uh, he was he would go out during the day, and he would just come home at night. Uh, this injury that he had uh, affected one of his eyes, so we're not sure so sure he can see out of one eye. He had his jaw wired. Poor cat. He definitely wasn't on life number nine. But so now this neighborhood cat has become a garage cat and a back porch cat because our back porch is screened in. This cat hasn't been back able to run the neighborhood. But we have a dog door on our back porch that our dogs go in and out. But when the cat gets there, we're just knowing that since he probably thinks we tried to kill him with a garage door, that if he gets outside, we figure he'll be gone. So we take something and put over that dog door when he gets on the back porch. Why is that? Well, for one thing, when that, something's over that, that means nothing can get in. It's protecting him from what's on the outside. But it's also keeping him from seeing something out there, maybe like a bird that he wants to get a hold of. And it keeps him from going out. So we are protecting him from the things that might come in to harm him. But we're also preserving him against himself for going and seeing something out in the world that he wants and going after it. You see, we're going to be tested by things on the outside and we're going to be tempted by things on the inside. But can I tell you that when you cross a boundary, chaos happens? That center line that you're supposed to drive on the right side of. You know what happens? If you get across that line, chaos happens. Head-on collisions happen. It's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. It's not to punish us. It's not to say that that's your side of the road. It's to preserve us. It's to keep us from harm. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. He says, who hears them and does them. Now, before you become a Christ follower, there's a lot of times that things happen because of your lack of knowledge. But once you become to realize the word of God, when you become a Christ follower and you begin to to study this word and you begin to look at what it says, there's a lot of times that it's not out of a lack of knowledge that we perish, but it's because that we have a lapse or a lack of judgment. We say, I know this is going to hurt me, but I'm going to cross the line. I know this isn't good for me, I know that that it's against what the Bible says, but I'm going to do it anyway. And there's going to be things in our lives that come against us in that manner. And we have to to draw the line and say, "I, I am not going to. I'm going to hear what He says, and I'm going to do them. If you truly believe who He is, if you truly believe what He says, if you truly believe that He is Lord, if you truly believe that this is the Word of God, Then my challenge to you this morning is draw a line and say, this is what I believe. This is a line that I'm not willing to cross. Not because what's on the other side may be enticing, but because I want to be a disciple of Christ. Because I don't want chaos to happen in my life or in the lives of my family. Secondly, how many people are ready for me to move on? Secondly, we want to talk about biblical community. Biblical community. Fellowship and breaking of bread. In other words, these disciples, they did life together. You ever heard that before? One of our core values is life is better together. And when we begin to look at this verse, we look at when it said they had continued in fellowship and the breaking of bread. I look at fellowship as the larger setting. What we're doing here this morning. We begin to look at and we talk about, we've tried to model the church. We've tried to model gateway in this manner. And what we're doing this morning is we are having life in rows. And this is important. It's an important aspect of becoming a disciple. We come together the first day of the week. We get together. We proclaim God's goodness. We let the gospel message go forth. Why is that? How many were saved on the day of Pentecost? What did it say? How many were added to the church? 3000 3000 in that scripture were added to the church. Why is that important? Because we need to become an army that's advancing the kingdom. We need to 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 become large enough that we could change our community. And we can do more together than we can do apart. Instead of doing 15 backpacks, we could do 150 backpacks. Instead of blessing 25 kids and and different families at Christmas, we can bless more. We can do more in the community. So coming together in fellowship and continuing to see God add to our numbers allows us to be an army that can change this community so it's important. But also, the breaking of bread. That's doing life in circles. You say, what does that mean? Doing life in circles is what we consider our life groups. Coming together and having transparency, authenticity, and intimacy of the pains that I walk through. You come in here on Sunday mornings, and and if you're like me, it's very rushed. And we want to get upstairs. And, and, and so the time to, to break bread, the time to, to really be authentic, authentic with people becomes difficult. But the breaking of bread means that, that there are times that, that you sit down at the, the table together. And you have a a time to to truly share and to to let people know the pains that you're going through. To let people know, uh, I've got this weakness that I need to share. You can't do it in a setting like this, in an army setting. But it needs to be in a family setting. Those two things are the highlights of our week. Getting together to fellowship. To come together as an army it wants to advance the kingdom but then also having that intimate time that breaking of bread there's many of us who've had issues in our life maybe someone has betrayed us maybe we've had problems having children maybe some of us have had problems with our children maybe we've had a hard time forgiving there are things that all of us go through but what is so awesome is when I get in that life group and someone begins to share. And somebody looks at them and says, hey, I've been there. I've been there. I know what you're going through. I've felt that pain. But let me tell you how God has brought me through it. Or they may look at him and say, hey, I've been there. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now, too. And they begin to have that openness. And then you find them after the the life group talking, going and doing life together. I cannot stress enough. probably sound like a broken record when I start talking about this, but I cannot stress enough how important it is to make time. Make time. You may not have it. You may have to make it, but make time to get into a life group. And we're going to have several new things starting in the very near future. And I want to encourage you to begin praying about it. And if you're not in involved in a life group right now, you will die without it. You say, that's, that's bold. Without having people and having that community, you'll feel isolated. You will feel like that nobody loves you and that nobody cares. The enemy will fill your mind with lies and you will be defeated without it. I'm that convinced of it. But unfortunately, we have people. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about in Christians in general. We have people who want to be an army. They want to come together on Sundays, but they don't want that family setting. And what happens is, is those people, you never see the real them. And you begin to think, man, they've got it all together. And their life might be in shambles. But then there's people who just want that family setting. And they don't want to be part of something bigger than they are. And, and they come off as very selfish because they're never giving of themselves. They're never a part of anything that's greater than you. And, and, and I, I want to tell, say this morning that we need both. God wants to influence your world, and He wants us to influence the world around us. And if we're going to become a disciple of Christ, and sometimes, most of the time, almost all the time, we are hanging around with people who maybe not be adding to us, but they're taking from our life. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Who is helping you make decisions in your life? It should be your army. It should be your family. I'm not saying that you can't have friends. But who is influencing your lifestyle? We've heard and we've seen that bad company corrupts good character. Who are you becoming? Who is helping you make your decisions? Who is influencing your lifestyle? Who is helping build your faith? And if you can ever get to the point that, that, you, that the people doing that, you can be like this, as verse 2 and 3 says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. In verse 3 I love. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. When you get around the right people. Can I tell you that that you will be getting life giving nutrients. Not life taking. And it says that you will become a tree. Something that cannot be moved. Something that is unshakable. That's what I want in my life. Because we're all going to have things that attempt to take us out. And I watch those palm trees and these storms and I'm amazed at how much wind and damage and, and that they can take, but they still stand strong. That's what I want to be, like a tree planted by the water that when the, the world tries to take me out, when the enemy tries to take me out, that I've been receiving this, this life-giving nutrients that I'm strong in my faith. So doctrine draws a line. Community draws a circle. And lastly, biblical dis- disciplines draw me close. Discipline. People hate that word. But prayer was something that they did. It says they continued and it said all of these things and it said, and in prayer. Prayer. in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 it said once Jesus was in a certain place praying and as he finished one of his disciples came to him and said lord teach us to pray that is powerful right there because i would believe that, that i would hate to think what i would do in that situation you've watched Jesus do all of these miracles i probably would be like Hey, could you teach me how to multiply food? Could you teach me how to be the star of the show? Could you teach me how someone to be dead and I can just, could you teach me that? But they didn't. They didn't ask for all the signs and wonders because they knew what the very basis of being a disciple was all about. They realized that they needed intimacy with the Father. They realized that what Jesus had was because you often found Him alone somewhere praying. They realized that. You say, I want that. How do I get there? What is prayer? Prayer is a lot of things. But I want to look at the very basis of prayer. It's not so that you can go and give God a list of, this is what I need. Is it that? Does God hear our prayer? Absolutely. Does prayer change things? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. But so many times we don't realize and understand what prayer truly is. And what is it? It's God saying, I want a relationship with you. Prayer is a way of initiating something with God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. I can tell you as a father, there are times that my daughter will come up And for no reason at all, she'll say, Daddy, I love you. Now, the first few times that she did it, I was thinking, okay, how much is it going to cost me? How much is it going to cost me? What are you wanting? Or what did you do? What's broken? That's what I figured was coming. But after it kept happening, and it happens quite often, she'll say, Daddy, I need a hug. Mommy, I need a hug. And she is initiating that relationship. She's initiating that love. Do you know how that makes me feel as a dad? I grin from ear to ear. Because so many times, we have to be the initiator. As a father, it used to be, you know, you'd have to say, hey, come here and give dad a hug. You know, aren't you going to kiss me goodnight? But she's beginning to get to that point where she initiates. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to reach out to him. He wants us to realize that prayer isn't a chore, but it's the cry of God's heart. He wants us to initiate that. He said, draw close to God. Come close to God. Initiate that relationship with Him, and He will draw near to us. Prayer does a lot of things and it's for a lot of things. But we at the very base of it, we need to understand that it is being becoming more than a believer, becoming a disciple, is learning how to pray and realizing that God wants a relationship with you. As we sing this morning, He loves you. He wants that relationship. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I'll close with this. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with the might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, listen to verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul said, this is why I bow my knees. It's so that I can get a hold of and understand God's love for me. So that I can understand how much that he loves me. So that I can understand what kind of relationship that he wants to have with me. So that we can be in one. So that we can be in communion. Because there are days... That if I didn't have that relationship with God, if I didn't know how much that He loved me, I would look in the mirror and say, I am unlovable. I would look in the mirror and say, there is no way that God could love me. But when you begin to have that relationship and that fellowship with Him, because as we said last week, there are times that as a believer, we will begin to believe that we can't be loved or we will mess up and we will fall away. But when we have a communion with Him, my daughter has a relationship with me now and with my wife, that when she messes up, because of that relationship, that we have with each other. She knows. That there may be consequences to her messing up. But it does not change our love for her. Why is that? It's because we have cultivated. And she has cultivated that relationship. So that she could understand the width and the depth. And the height of the love that we have for her. And can I tell you this morning. That if we have that kind of love for her, how much more our God loves us. And when you can go to Him in prayer, and when you can have that kind of a relationship that allows you to mess up but know that God still loves you, that kind of relationship that allows you to know that He is there for you no matter what, That kind of relationship. I'm sure there were days that the disciples felt like that they could not go on. We've heard of what all Paul went through. And he said, this is why I bow my knees. Because I've been through some stuff. And if I was thinking with my normal self. And if I didn't have that communion and that relationship with God. I would walk away when he was shipwrecked, when he was beaten, he would have walked away. But he said, I bow my knees because I need to have that relationship with God that when those days that I don't feel quote unquote saved, having that relationship with him will allow you to know that he is near. Having that relationship with him will propel you that when you mess up to know that he still loves you. We read all through the New Testament, the disciples continually messed up. Continually. One thing I always go back to is when Peter had denied Jesus. When Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, and he denied him. Jesus was placed in the tomb and it says, when he came out, he looked at them and he said, go tell Peter and the others. Why did he call, why did he single out Peter? I believe it's because Peter was probably sitting in a corner somewhere thinking, I've failed. I've messed up. There's no way that, that, that he could still love me. But he said, go tell Peter. Let him know that I still love him. He was still concerned about Peter. And you may be here this morning and you may be saying, Pastor, I believe in God, but I've messed up so much that I don't think there's any way in what Christ is saying. You need to move from becoming a believer to a disciple. And one way that you need to do that is begin to have that relationship with Him through prayer. As they begin to play, every head bowed and every eye closed. And as I prayed over this service, My prayer was, Holy Spirit, as we said last week, Holy Spirit, I can't do anything without you. And I prayed, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me and direct me. And as as I preach God's word this morning, the thing that I keep centering up the thing that keeps rising up in my spirit is there are people here this morning that you believe that you've messed up so much that God could not possibly love you. But God wants you to get to a point in your life that you have that kind of relationship with Him that allows you to know with me, initiate that relationship with me and I will show you the width the depth the height of my love you're here this morning and you feel that way I've messed up too much. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Thank you. Don't let the enemy fill your head with lies. God loves you. Anyone else? I've messed up too much. There's no way. I look in the mirror, there's no way that God could still love me. Thank you. You say, Pastor, I've been felt this way forever and I come and pray and here's the key you can come and we can pray for you we can believe God with you and walk with you there comes a point in time that you have to initiate that love, that relationship with God on a daily basis Sunday to Sunday is just not going to get it. If my daughter came to me just once a week and we had no communication, we would not have that kind of relationship that I was describing. Talking about cultivating a relationship with Him through prayer, through worship. Anyone else? Pastor, that's me. I want to ask everybody to stand right where you are. Thank you. The song that they're playing simply says, I surrender all. You know what all means? It means all. It means, God, I'm giving you everything. This giving it all to you. As they begin to sing that, if you raised your hand or if you didn't and you're feeling that way, this altar call is for you. It's for you. You say, well, I've been there before. It doesn't matter. first step of you saying, I'm going to cultivate this relationship with God, and I want people to walk with me. So right now, as they sing, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to come forward, and our prayer is going to gather around you, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for strength. We're going to pray that God will give you The peace of knowing how much that he loves you. So, right now, I'm going to pray. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Come to this altar and let's pray and let's believe what God, the Holy Spirit, can do in your life. Father, I come before you right now. God, for those who raised their hand, God, I'm believing. Satan, I come against you and the lies that you are speaking right now. God, I believe you want to do something in the lives of your people. Those who feel, God, that they are not loved. Father, I pray right now that that, that pride will go down and God, that you will rise up. God, that we come before you this morning and we will stand and we will gather together and we will know that you love us as we bow to our knees so that we can understand God, if we can't grasp that love, we know that we will never be the disciple that you are calling us to be. Father, right now, God, Holy Spirit, do a touch and a work in the lives of those that have come forward. Father, I pray for those who are maybe still struggling with giving you everything. God, I believe right now. Holy Spirit, work in this place. If you're out there, just stretch your hand and pray for those who have come forward this morning. Allow them to know that they have that community that you're praying and believing for them. That they can comprehend that no matter where they go or what they do, that God still loves them and cares about them. And that we as a church still love and care about them. Make that relationship with you. God, to no. know that you love with an everlasting and an unchanging love. With a reckless love that would come after them and leave the 99 99-